have to say I am really enjoying listening to new albums when they drop at midnight. By the time this episode goes live, the new St. Vincent album will have dropped and the the night that we're recording it, I'm actually going to stay up till midnight and like get my headphones and and just listen to the whole thing end to end. Don't get me wrong, I I miss the days of like going to the store and getting it day of release and then either, you know, putting it on if it was like something you could listen to portable or going home and playing it. But there is a, a special uh, just warm feeling I get with watching the clock tick over to midnight and that new music is right there. I love that. I think also the pandemic has, I don't know, reintroduced people to the joy of listening to a full album oh, as yeah. well. You know, for me, that I always felt that with books, to be honest, when there was like <laughs> that midnight release. Um, but I know exactly what you mean. Um, it's so exciting. People are just appreciating, you know, if they can, you know, have the opportunity to slow down a bit and just like fully appreciate an album or sit down and really, truly dive into a book. Um, So I didn't actually know about that release date. So if I can make it to midnight tonight, I will stay up. Look at the bright side. If you can't, then tomorrow morning, your Friday morning is going to be great. And, you know, if anybody else, if you happen to see me looking a little bit groggy lately, just ask me, did a new album drop last night? The answer is probably yes. Welcome to wherever you are. My name is Ryan McNeil in Toronto, Canada. You are listening to episode 261 of the Matinee Cast. It's the movie-loving podcast of my movie-loving website, thematinee.ca. Your home for cinematic passion and perspective. Not all that long ago, I loved to make new movie-going friends. I used to look around a lot more through Twitter feeds and blog posts and reach out to interesting people. I already knew we had things in common, so it stood to reason that we'd get along as people. Time slowed that tendency, as time does to all things, and I haven't made quite as many movie-loving friends in recent years. Matter of fact, it's possible that today's guest is the last good movie-loving friend I've made. Perhaps not permanently, but for now, she stands alone, like Rey at the end of The Rise of Skywalker, the last of her kind. Ordinarily, we would be having this conversation in person, be it in a cafe or in our own little setup, but we're locked down still here in Ontario, so we're using the magic of the internet today. Please welcome a contributing writer at Wiley Writes and a dear friend. Jolie Featherstone is here. How are you, Jolie Featherstone? I am so good after that amazing introduction. I just got compared to Ray, and I I think that might be the best like moment best compliment i've ever received <laughs> i've got you already like set for your next halloween or the next cosplay you know like now you have to you know somebody called me ray so i have to go as ray <laughs> absolutely i i know thank you for doing this wonderful introduction um i love ray so i really appreciate it <laughs> my pleasure on episode 261 we will be discussing together together we'll be flipping the record over to play the other side but first we need to learn more about jolie this is know your enemy So Julie is actually a five-time guest, but one of those times we were kind of doing something on the fly. So she's only answered three rounds of questions, and she'll be going for her fourth round today. She first appeared on episode 182, where we talked about a ghost story. Man, that seems like a long time ago now. Um, We learned the first film she'd ever seen in a theater was Casper. The last film she'd seen at the time was Point Break. The worst film she's ever seen is Hot Tub Time Machine. 
The unseen classic or essential is Lawrence of Arabia, and the film that she wished she made was Ama Sur, or Fat Girl in the English-speaking parts of the world. Jolie returned on episode 195. We talked about Thoroughbreds, and we learned the film that... Everybody else hates that she digs is Dirty Dancing, Havana Nights. The film that everybody else likes that she doesn't is Cinema Paradiso. The last film to make her cry is Call Me By Your Name. In the movie of her life, she would be played at different stages of her life by Jennifer Lawrence, Saoirse Ronan, and Kate McKinnon. And the movie she was watching next was A Fantastic Woman, which is awesome. I did go on and watch it like right after we had that conversation. So thank you for the tip. Jolie returned again on episode 223. We talked about nonfiction and we learned the film that made her love of cinema turn a corner is Gladiator. Her first date movie is Blood Diamond. Uh, Her sick day movie is anything with Marilyn Monroe in it. The last film to leave her speechless is Una and her epitaph, uh, a woman after my heart. She quoted Billy Wilder. Nobody's perfect. So it's time for round four. Miss Featherstone, what is a film you really dig, but you never want to watch again? I kind of struggle with this one because I feel that if I truly, truly love a film, even if it's difficult to watch, I will watch it again. Maybe not right away, maybe many years down the road, but I I would want to give it a chance to watch again. That said... I think actually a film that you actually mentioned in one of my previous answers is one of those ones that I've wanted to watch again, but actually haven't been able to bring myself to. And it's Una. And I guess it sort of makes sense. It was the last film that left me speechless. So it's one of those films that is extremely well made, extremely well acted. Um, You have an incredible cast. It's a very well made film. Um, It's a very thought provoking film. Um, But, you know, it is, you know, it deals with a lot of, difficult subjects it's rather intense and I, I i keep meaning to rewatch it but i haven't yet been able to bring myself to do so so i think that's the one right now that i really dug I haven't watched it again <laughs> i intend to someday but maybe not anytime soon <laughs> i think a lot of movies like that it's actually kind of unfortunate because that's got a that's got a fantastic little cast in it. Like Rooney Mara is mm-hmm. in it, Ben Mendelssohn's in it, Riz Ahmed is mm-hmm. in it. You know, everybody's everybody's favorite new discovery. That's you know, everybody <laughs> else's discovery from about two years ago or three years ago. Mm-hmm. When we're dealing with films that deal with sexual assaults and sexual harassment, I feel more and more like those are the ones that we really only want to come back to if we if we have to, like if they're up for a discussion or up for a class or something like that, or, or part of some sort of retrospective, then we'll eat our vegetables and take our vitamins more and more and more. We're talking about how much of this has just gone unspoken and how much mm-hmm. of this has, has been endured by, by so many women around the world. It's just, it's not something that we want to spend our time with. It's strange though, the way that, what comes to life in society can affect our the art that we that we consume i mean you know something similar to this feeling that you're talking about with una a book by haruki murakami that i really um i found it fascinating but if i but i I read it at the wrong time it's a book Mm -hmm. called colorless uh sukuru sasaki and his years of pilgrimage Mm -hmm. and the story at the crux of the plot is a false report of rape um, amongst a group of friends. And if I had read this book, I don't know, 
10, 20 years ago. Uh, I, you know, I probably would, I, I would have gone through it and had it and put it on the shelf and not even thought much of it. When I was reading it just two years ago now, I was like, you know, I don't want to read this kind of story anymore. Like, I know these kinds of things do happen, but this is not the time to, to talk about like false reports of rape and how that can affect a friendship. So I, I, I see it, you know, it's, it's, it's the kind of thing that's really coloring this answer as people come in and they answer this question. Um, so I, I can totally see why Una as great as it is, would be the kind of movie that you're like, you know, I think I'm good. <laughs> yeah. And a great uh, reference there to that, to that novel. I've, I've read that one as well. And it took me a long time to get through it. Mm-hmm. And I think that may have played a part in it as well. I, I find that Murakami's writing style, I, I myself tend to take a long time reading his novels because I, I just really, I don't know why I just take so long to read them. But um, yeah, that one particularly stood out to me as one that took me quite a while to finish. And um, yes, with, as you mentioned with Una, I think there's an extra layer um, too for a lot of people where the you're watching the film and also um, certain scenes can, you know, hit very hard if it's a similar to a lived experience that you've had sure. and you're sort of mining your own experiences and trying to kind of process that while you're also processing what's taking place on the screen in front of you. And I think that might play a part in it. All that to say, very well-made film. Yeah. I do want to rewatch it. Just haven't gotten to it yet, and it, it may take me a while to get back to it. <laughs> I totally get that. Uh, in a very similar vein, what is a film that genuinely freaked you out? I love art pieces and films that that freak you out, that freak people out. Um, I'm a huge horror fan. Um, but the funny thing is that actually a film that you wouldn't necessarily classify as horror is the only film that really freaked me out to the point that I was like, oh, I need to take a break and come back to this later. Um, and it was, is it Revolutionary Road with Kate Winslet and Leo? Wow. Yeah. Okay. I needed to take a break through that film. I think I got about halfway through and just the sheer, like the anger and the rage and the disappointment and just everything that's going on simmering between that film. Again, such a well-made film. The directing, of course, I think it's, 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 it's Mendes. Or it is. Yeah. It's Sam Mendes. It's yeah. Mendes. It's kind of one of those uh, like forgotten Sam Mendes movies that came in between uh, American beauty and, uh, and skyfall. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Okay. So it's, it's funny. I don't think that anybody has ever answered that question of an intensity of a relationship. Like, I mean, that would generally freak you out because you know, you, you, you wonder, like you see, even if you've got your shit together, you see glimmers of yourself in those conversations and those arguments. And you're like, Oh God, what have I forgotten to say? What have I forgotten to bring up? What is, what is my partner harboring? And and what is this a preview of coming attractions? That's um, I, yeah, I can promise you that nobody has ever brought that up in this answer. <laughs> it's, it's so funny because I think the last film that you and I actually saw together and we saw it um, with other, you know, uh, cinephile friends and and film critic friends uh was marriage story and marriage story to me i found very light and comedic actually and like of course it's drama and and it and i i don't mean to say that in an irreverent way it's it's certainly not but um 
it's funny and there's a lightness to it, which I wasn't expecting when I went into it. Whereas Revolutionary Road, I found did not have that humor. It did not have that light. It really felt like this sinking stone in the pit of your stomach. And you're just like, there, you just feel this. It's such a, it's such a, there's a heaviness watching that film and it's, almost relentless. The deceptive (laughs) thing about it too is that it's so handsome and it's with Mm -hmm. so many beautiful people and it's set back in either the 50s or the 60s and everybody looks so prim and proper Mm -hmm. but it's deceptive in terms of how dark you know, yes. and how depressing it really, really is. So, yes. yeah, I, I could see why that would freak you out. You know, you, you might wonder about what's <laughs> happening out in the real world. Um, oh, definitely. Okay. It was one film that I had to kind of pause and be like, okay, I'm going to take a break and come back to this in a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet Lord. On the other side of the spectrum, what is the film that always makes you laugh? Always makes me laugh. Always puts a smile on my face. It, again, another one calling back to a previous answer. It has to be uh, some like it hot. If I need a film as a bomb or a remedy, and I just know that I am going to smile and I'm going to laugh, I put on some like it hot. It it will guarantee a laugh out of me. Um, so that's my go-to. That movie, the more I revisit it, I, I was a little bit late to Billy Wilder. I only got into him about 10 years ago or so. And he has since become a man who every bit of his work I admire. Uh, that that movie is incredible. It's just, it's so sharp. Watching Curtis and Lemon in that movie alone would be hilarious. Watching Marilyn Monroe get into the action as well mm-hmm. is, is just fantastic. And all they, they all get these amazing lines. They get these amazing sequences to go through. The, it's, it's so lively and fun. Like the music in it is fantastic. I too probably laugh out loud once every time I watch it at, at a different joke. Absolutely. Um, I like that you bring up Curtis and Lemon because when I an, originally watched it, I thought this is an excellent buddy comedy, you yeah. know, at the heart of it. There's just this pure, joyful buddy comedy. But it's, as you said, it's sharp, it's witty. And the humor I find still holds up today. Like I went to an actually, an, I think it was a TO picture show outdoor screening of it a, a couple summers ago with friends. And it was so cool to see like there was families with their kids there. There was, you know, older folks. There was, you know, plenty of people uh, our age and everyone was enjoying themselves. Everyone had a smile on their face. I feel like it really, there's just something so joyful about it. Um, so charming. Um, and if, you know, if anyone, I don't think anyone could watch that film and dispute that Marilyn Monroe is an excellent comedian. Like she's, she is an excellent comedic actor. Um, Everyone's on their A game. The supporting cast is fantastic. Um, I particularly love the, uh, the leaders of uh, the band that they join. (laughs) They're so great. Sweet Sue Um, and her symphony. Yeah. Yes. And the gangsters, the mobsters, um, everyone's just on their A game. The writing is fantastic. So that's my go-to yeah. for a laugh. You know, I'm getting married. Who's the lucky girl? I am. It's just, you know, stuff like that. I just, I adore it. If anybody has never seen this movie, I don't know if anybody listening to this show hasn't seen something like it hot, but please do yourself a favor. If, especially if you've been locked down for a while, it'll mm-hmm. really lift your spirits. So, and you can thank Jolie later. Um, Jolie Featherstone, what is your favorite movie soundtrack? Okay. I'm going to admit something very, um, 
possibly embarrassing oh when I was in elementary school, when everyone else was, you know, obsessed with the, you know, whoever was on top 40 sure. um, at my school, everything was like hip hop, R&B, whoever was top at that time. You know, I liked it, but I was the kid that if you were to, you know, take away my Walkman and look at what I'm listening to, it would without fail be the Lord of the Rings Fellowship of the Ring original mo- motion picture soundtrack or the Edward Scissorhands original motion picture soundtrack. So I have to give a shout out to those two because they defined my childhood and my teenagers and I still listen to them to this day. Instant escape for me. More recently, I loved, and I know I'm kind of focusing on score, but I find that nowadays I really um, have been really enjoying the score from Far From the Matting Crowd, the recent, uh, the remake that was recently. Thomas Vinter. I think, I want to say it's Craig Armstrong. That that checks. I just think it's so gorgeous. It's beautiful. If a score can be sexy, the score is sexy. (laughs) It's so good. Gorgeous, beautiful score. And I, I find myself pulling up that one on Spotify quite a lot. Um, now, I mean, now you have me curious. I might drop a, I might drop a musical cue from that into the show here somewhere because I don't. I've seen that movie. I remember actually enjoying that movie. Um, oddly enough, I've never read that book, despite it being on our shelf here in Casa <laughs> del McNeil. Um, but I, I don't remember the score that specifically. I'm. I feel bad because I've kind of drifted from scores a little bit. I used for a long time. I used to love them. Like I had an ongoing playlist of scores that I loved of like, you know, everything from when I was younger to, you know, the, like the most recent ones that really, really stuck out. I wasn't that kid so much when I was younger. I was that teenager. I was the teenager who had a lot of, and I think I, I probably still have them in this apartment. A lot of CDs that I bought just to yeah. listen to the actual like instrumental score, um, mm-hmm. which would be kind of weird. Like if you're on the subway or something like that and you're hearing like, you know, the Battle of Helms deep in your headphones, it's a little bit of a weird experience. It's a fantastic experience, and I can speak from personal experience. Walking into your local elementary school or high school, in my case, uh, listening to, you know, Lord of the Rings, also Harry Potter, of course. Right. It's so iconic. It's also just such a beautiful um, score as well. Last but not least for now, what is a film you love but seemingly nobody has heard of? I, I feel this is hard to answer because I know that you and, and most of our friends would know any movie that, be you surprised. know. Or what first comes to mind are films that I was fortunate enough to see at film festivals. Um films that I wouldn't necessarily have had the very lucky opportunity to have seen otherwise. Um, And I, so I kind of think of that because those are films that I myself know, I probably would not have heard of them. There's two that stuck out to me because I saw them at TIFF and even in all, I think in most of my conversations with people, it seemed like they weren't super widely watched or at least not amongst the folks that I've, I've, discuss them with but um one was from the first year that i attended tiff um and i was volunteering so i kind of just took my luck of the draw whenever i had a a bit of a break in my volunteer shifts i'd say okay whatever film has tickets available i'm gonna go see it and that has served me well many a time and yeah the first year was this film called ninjen uh would have been the year 2012 that i saw it and it's a lovely film um really about, I want to say, 
love uh, spanning many lifetimes and many decades. And it, I want to, it was a, a Japanese European co-production. Apparently it's Japanese Turkish, which now, Turkish. I mean, okay. like color me curious, first of all. <laughs> I mean, so yeah. first of all, you, you nailed it. Like, no, I have not heard of this movie. So well played. <laughs> and anytime you get a movie that's a Japanese Turkish co-production, I'm like, okay, now I'm even more curious. Um, yeah. The poster looks really colorful and handsome. What is this? What is this movie about? So apparently, um, you know, it really it focuses on um, a, a gentleman, sort of, I, I want to say a middle-aged or older uh, businessman who kind of has sort of a crisis uh, of identity, sort of an existential crisis, um, and we kind of follow him through that. Uh, but it's truly, apparently, at the Q&A, it was based on, um, like, an old folktale, um, and it's really about these two kind of souls that find each other throughout many lifetimes. Um, And I just remember it being such a lovely film. And it was one of the first films I ever saw at a festival. And I just remember thinking, this is such a nice film. I left the theater feeling lighter in a way or feeling energized in a, in a way. And yet so many conversations I've had with other folks who, you know, like to, you know, kind of, take chances at TIFF and see various things. Um, I hadn't really come across anyone else who'd seen it. The crazy thing about a film festival is you can often find yourself on a different lap than everybody else. Like I will say that the last whatever it's been now, five festivals, I think, four festivals, um, where I've only been watching the films uh, made by female directors, I feel Mm -hmm. like I'm attending a totally different festival Mm -hmm. than everybody else. Because like, we'll sit down at the pub, and the movies that I'm seeing, none of the rest of our little group have seen, um, you know, and the movies that everybody else is talking about that I will catch up with later, Mm -hmm. I I didn't see either. So it is very, very easy at a film festival, especially one the size of TIFF, to get yourself into a different lane than everyone else, like depending on what you go for. Like I do know there are a lot of people who go and they're like, I'm really interested in seeing movies from Asia, from Europe, Mm -hmm. from South America. I'm really interested in seeing the queer films of the, you know, the black films, you name it, like any kind of basket of of criteria that you can think of there are people who that's what they want to go for because sometimes it's the only chance they'll get to see these things on a screen in a theater so it is really easy actually in in a in, especially at a film festival to find a movie that nobody else has seen um mm-hmm. and those are the ones i usually like to talk up but um speaking of movies to bring up we've got a we've got another one today uh, that's making the rounds on demand um that uh, just dropped a few weeks ago come on back right after this we're going to talk about the new slang it's together together right after this little break imagine me and you i do i think about you day and night it's only right to think about the girl you love so happy together If I should call you up Invest a dime And you say you belong to me Lose my mind Imagine how the world could be So very fine So happy together 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 is written and directed by Nicole Beckwith It stars Brittany Patty Harrison and Ed Helms Together Together is a pretty simple concept It's the story of Matt and Anna As the story begins, Anna agrees to be the surrogate mother for Matt's child. The only really hitch of it all is that Matt is doing this all alone. Single dad. No spouse or partner to speak of. 
Through the course of the pregnancy, the two find themselves shifting from strictly a transactional relationship to one of actual fondness. Matt and Anna become friends through their shared situation, even if they aren't together together. Got it? Good. I'm feeling a little punchy at this moment, so I apologize in advance that I'm going to start us somewhere silly. There is a scene midway through Together Together where Matt shows Anna just how hard it is for him to pick a color to paint the nursery walls. Every color has multiple meanings. So pop quiz hotshot. If we were to paint the walls of this movie, what color would you paint them and why? Great question. I actually really um, appreciated the, the color palette of this film. And I think for me, I would probably go with a very light, calm, pale yellow. Oh, okay. You basically, you want to like cheer it up. You want to be, you want to be bright and, and happy. Is that what's happening there? I think what, why I would choose, and again, a very pale kind of yellow, not anything too bright or in your face and not like super pastel per se, but like quite a pale yellow. What stuck out for me about this film and the color palette in the, in the sound, like in the, in the audio, it's such a soft, gentle, very comforting film. Mm -hmm. And I found that even within the color palette itself, I thought there was quite a bit of like pale yellows and like pale greens. Um, So that's kind of why I I sort of gravitate towards like a pale yellow when I think of this question. Okay. I'm going with a mix of uh, gray and blue to represent Mm -hmm. both the shyness and anxiety of these characters. Mm -hmm. I find that they're both, neither one of them is incredibly confident and I think they both recognize the situation is a little nuts. Um, and, and certainly, you know, the, their relationship to each other is a little difficult, a little timid, and something that just seems to be wrought with with shyness and anxiety, even though it, you know, it, it may be something that only stands for eight months. Um, so I, I think that they they need to kind of have that that they can kind of dress themselves in and and just be able to to, to own the space that they're in. Um, what'd you think of Together Together? I enjoyed it. I I thought it was so again like I use the, those words and and I don't mean them in a in a diminutive way. I found it very gentle and very comforting, um, very affirming film. I found it felt like a a nice warm blanket and a cup of tea. To be honest, I I personally love stories that you know, focus on relationships, especially kind of unconventional ones. There certainly is unconventional, um, kind of they're brought together really by circumstance. Um, but then as you, as you mentioned, brought together by circumstance to very different people, yet very similar in many ways as well. And they end up becoming sort of a support system for each other. Yeah, I, I quite enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it as well. I was actually surprised because as it was beginning, I wasn't, entirely on board like this movie just kind of drops us into the into the deep end it, it, it introduces us to matt and anna when they are meeting for the first time and he's basically you know treating it like a job interview which i guess in some respects it really is um you know if you're gonna inter- if you're gonna get somebody to be the surrogate for your child and put that much risk stress and money all on the line on one person you really want to vet them Mm -hmm. um but it 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 drops us into that first meeting without really truly spelling out why they're there and i i didn't actually do a whole lot of research on this movie so i didn't entirely know what i was getting into um so that was kind of my stone cold introduction the (laughs) first i don't know 15 or 20 minutes i 
found it a little stilted, a little stuffy, a little, mm-hmm. you know, low boil indie kind of way of making us do the work. And then once it got past that kind of opening 20 minutes or so this movie is divided into the three trimesters once it got about halfway into that first trimester i found that the movie really opened up and it became a little less goofy a little less stuffy and a lot more human as they got to know each other and we got to know them so it's funny like if if i had been flipping channels and happened upon this movie by accident i may have flipped away after the first 10 or 15 minutes but knowing that you know, I put my money where my mouth is. I was going to be doing a show. I got, you know, you to come sit down and talk with me. I'm like, I'm in it. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm committed to this movie and I'm, I'm glad I did. It's, it's a movie that rewards that initial little timidness off the beginning. Uh, I, I liked the opening. I thought it was quite a, quite a funny opening, but I did feel when, I think when he <laughs> brings the clogs to the, the coffee shop, <laughs> I actually thought, okay, this is, it feels I also kind of had a moment with the pacing. I thought, okay, this feels like it's kind of happening fast and slow. And I don't know. And then by the second trimester and, and, you know, there's part of that may have been intentional, obviously to kind of emphasize the the trajectory of their relationship. But certainly by the second trimester, I feel like the film for me anyways, really found its rhythm. Mm -hmm. And really, I found it had like a beat at that point that, uh, felt you know consistent and felt kind of comfortable within within the story and within itself. Um, certainly, that scene that you mentioned, I really really liked that scene um, when they're choosing color swatches. For me, that was the turning point. I thought, okay, at this point, I'm like, I'm fully in. I feel like okay, it's really hit its stride, and from here on in, I'm I'm quite excited to see where it'll go. Um, but yes, I did feel at the beginning it was I was a little bit kind of off with the with the pacing, but. It, it definitely hit its stride by, I think, the the second trimester. <laughs> I, I think a, what a lot of that comes down to are the performances by uh, Ed mm-hmm. Helms and Brittany Patty Harrison. Now, so Brittany Patty Harrison, she's new to me. I know that she, my, uh, my wife told me that uh, she's really well known from Shrill. Um, yes. I don't know if that's a show that you watch or not. But um, oh, yes. <laughs> she, I mean, like, she's asked to do a lot in this mm-hmm. movie and her performance in this movie is amazing. They give her a lot <laughs> to, to, to handle and to work with, with that character. Um, and I too am a huge fan of Shrill. That's where I know her from. Um, and she does an excellent job in Shrill at playing a character that's not always very likable um, and quite, you know, quite a harsh character. So to see her take on a role like this, where there is, you know, um, a lot of tenderness, there's, there's kind of like a, a hard protective layer, but then an inner, an inner sort of uncertainty and, and tenderness. Um, I thought she did a fantastic job and I really enjoyed seeing her kind of take on this role. Um, I'm excited to see what she'll do because we already know she's, she's got the range going between shrill and together together. I was going to say in shrill, does she play a similar type of character? Like, I, I mean, Helms, usually when Ed Helms is in a movie, you kind of know who he's going to play. He's going to play like the white bread, clean cut dork, you know, who occasionally will like just kind of lose it, whether it's in Tag or it's in The Hangover or Cedar Rapids or any one of those movies. You kind of know the sort of schlub that he's going to be. I'm I'm interested to see when actors kind of show different sides. Does Harrison show a different side of herself in this movie than she does on Shrill? Yes, there are certainly parallels. I mean, uh, both in Shrill and Together Together, you know, it's sort of um, 
I want to say sort of a jaded millennial (laughs) sort of role. So there are parallels, but in together, together, there's um, a lot more of, I would say uh, the emotional aspect of the character is a lot more malleable than we see in Shrill and Shrill, her character, you know, is sort of a comic relief character in the sense that she's throwing out absolute barbed wire zingers and one-liners to people. There are parallels, but it is quite different. And together, together, we see a very nuanced and very malleable sort of emotional core to her character that we don't always get to see in her character in Shrill. Um, So that's where I find, uh, that's what I found very interesting. I found the camera loves her. Like you, the camera really loves her. And I found myself watching her a lot. And I don't know if it's because of, shrill and i was so kind of intrigued to see you know how she would uh portray a character in this film but i just found the camera loved her i couldn't take my eyes off her i found that you know she felt just very natural to me and and like you said there she's given a lot (laughs) given a lot to do and a lot to work with and some scenes i think can be you know easily teeter this sort of edge where you kind of there's sort of an edge where you feel that sometimes it might be getting a little too sentimental or maybe it might be getting a little too I don't want to say unrealistic but um you feel okay that like these these characters are so supportive and they you never really see them go through too many hiccups um but they make it feel real and it does feel very organic and very human um so credit to them both I think they both did an excellent job and even with Ed Helms I found that um, and to be fair, I haven't seen too much of his work. You know, I've seen his big stuff like The Hangover and seen him in The Office and things like that. But If you've seen one, you've kind of seen them all. <laughs> I actually, I really enjoyed him in this film. I felt there was a, an extra layer, again, of kind of like a, a tenderness to him that I haven't really seen, and at least in the, in the films of his that I have seen. He has a great moment where Anna asks him, like she point blank asks him, why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. And you you know that he's done the math, but mm-hmm. you know that he probably, when he articulates it, he's either used to an argument or he's used to some, you know, skepticism or something like that. And he talks about how he's looked for the right person and he hasn't, you know, he's thought he's found it a few times, but he hasn't been able to find it. And he, you know, now he's single, like now he's, he's in his forties and he's single and what his single friends have, he doesn't want and what he has, they don't want. And he's like, I, I just, I know what I need and want for my life. And it's a, it's a weird moment of honesty that you don't get dudes expressing. I mean, first of all, in the world, but certainly not in movies, you know, you don't get guys saying, you know, yeah, I'm I'm still a bachelor, even though I've had my ups and downs in life. I've, I'm, you know, professionally and socially set, but I, mm-hmm. I still find something lacking. And mm-hmm. it's a weird target to try to hit, but Ed Helms manages to express that, certainly in that moment, really, really well. And that kind of helps color everything else we've seen, because when we watch him in these other moments, like when he tries to give her clogs and special pregnancy <laughs> tea, or even just the first time they go for dinner and he's trying to like, like be that guy to criticize like the food that she's ordering, mm-hmm. you know, you know that that like, that's some shitty ass stuff, but it's like when he comes at it from this way, it's like, well, it's still shitty, but at least now we know that he's really coming to it from a good place. 
Yes, yes, you're absolutely right. There's, like you said, we do see those glimmers of, uh, you know, kind of more of his certified Ed Helms comedy with the clog scenes and the and the tea. But that was such a, a rare moment, as you said, for for you know a lot of male characters on film to have such a moment of very raw kind of vulnerability and honesty, and just kind of, you know. Yeah, it, it's it's just a beautiful raw moment of vulnerability where he kind of says, "Yeah, like, look, this is this is where I'm coming from." One thing you bring up there that I think is really interesting is that when he has this, when when he's talking like that, it's very matter of fact. You get the sense he's had this conversation before and has been met with um, like questioning and criticism, or even that one scene. Oh, just just you just felt for him um when he has that scene with his uh, brother and sister-in-law and no one is listening to him no one he's just he's kind of being ignored while he's having a major life milestone a major moment and everyone's kind of like oh yeah you know if you're happy we're happy go back <laughs> to dealing with our kids like you know it's and you can't it's just such a <laughs> i found that scene so human and so real um especially i think for the characters that we see you know these are two characters who you know clearly have i think they're sort of as you said used to being met with criticism used to being met with questioning and maybe because of that have um a bit of uncertainty around them around themselves um yet when he has that scene where he truly expresses why he's making this decision and why he's doing this like you said it's it comes from such an honest place at that point. He's just very, very transparent and very clear about why he's doing it and and what he wants for his life. Um, so yeah, it truly colors his character at that point, you know, okay, this is, he's coming at it with a very honest and open-hearted position. I mean, the great parallel with that as well is when we really meet Anna and we understand that, yeah, she's 26, but mm-hmm. this is a woman who's already, lived you know like she we, we find mm-hmm. out that she was she was already a teen mom and she gave her her child up for adoption which mm-hmm. leads to a whole bunch of awkward questions and conversations about being <laughs> pro-choice um and pro-choices the movie goes out of its way to spell out that a 40 something and a 26 year old really don't have a whole lot in common mm-hmm. which you know i think we could come, kind of talk to that a little bit as well but that's a, <laughs> our relationship is very different than the relationship of matt and anna but you know at the same time, they've both been through some stuff. Like neither mm-hmm. one of them have had the smooth road that every 40 something has and every 26 year old has. They've both seen some shit. And that's kind of what gives them this little connection to get through this this moment of being together together. For me, that was uh, more so obviously in the beginning of the film, but that I think was part of the struggle that, that I had. And I, I fully aware that that's what I brought to it um, was, you know, watching this uh, very supportive and for the most part, respectful relationship between um, these two people. But, you know, what one is like this, like straight white guy who's like in his forties. And then you have like this, young, like 20 something girl. And I'm kind of like, uh, I don't really know how I feel about this. Like, I just feel, and, and again, this is purely transparent. This is just like me projecting. I'm kind of like, oh, I don't know how I feel about this. Um, but of course, I uh, I appreciate their relationship and and how it is portrayed. As you said, they are shown in such a way that 
you know, it, the relationship isn't sexualized. It's not portrayed in that way. It is portrayed as two people who have, you know, been through a lot and um, have dealt with a lot in both of their young lives, even though they're in different stages. Um, and I think that's kind of what's beautiful about this. One of my, I, I think one of my favorite aspects of this film is that it is so affirming of both of these characters. You know, we see them both kind of in moments of vulnerability and in moments of um, self-doubt. And the other one kind of steps up in that moment and kind of lifts them up. Um, so it, it is really lovely to see on film. I was happy though. Uh, I really did enjoy the scene where um, Anna kind of calls him out over all those Woody Allen Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I really enjoyed that. And I mean, I think that's that's the big difference. Like that is that is the real influence of Nicole Beckwith in this movie. Mm -hmm. This movie very easily could have been told by a dude of look at this guy who wants to be a single father at forty two, and he's gonna you know go out and get a surrogate to do it. And you know he's not part of a couple. He's not part of a partnership. He's just he just wants a kid. And it could have been very slap happy and silly mm -hmm. and and played you know like three men and a baby, but one. Like, Nicole Beckwith underlines the fact that, you know, if it's not for the transactional point of them being in the same room, mm -hmm. there is no reason for them to be in the same room other than somebody who's been fueled by having watched too many Woody Allen movies. And that's the thing. Like, I think if this was a movie told by a dude, that it would be just another just another like Woody Allen type movie of an older guy and a younger girl that we've seen over and over and, you know, will continue to see over and over. We could be here for a whole other podcast talking about the problems with Woody Allen's film <laughs> canon, but for her to specifically call out having seen those kinds of movies, you know, and maybe that's what he's got in mind of an older man and a younger woman, I think really underlines the clarity of the the film the filmmaker in this case the the clarity of yeah. voice. I did get a sense of the director's voice and, and their vision as coming through in the film. And I think that's what really gives the film its heartbeat. Um, you feel it, I, I, at least for me, at every moment of this film, you truly feel the director's kind of care and compassion for both of these characters. And as you said, the director makes it very clear, like <laughs> this is a very kind of um, seemingly odd arrangement um, and makes a point of, you know, kind of highlighting like this isn't, uh, as you said, this sort of slap happy and kind of goofy, silly treatment of two people have been through a lot and are now in sort of an unconventional sort of relationship. Both of their stories and both, uh, or both the character stories and both of the characters intentions are um, really uh, affirmed, I think, by the director. And that's where we get the, the true sort of emotional core of this film. Um, but yeah, I think, as, as you said, I, I really like that point because I didn't think of that, but I can, in my head, I can see the poster for the movie that you're describing yeah. of this very kind of slap happy comedy. Um, and this film is not that, like I said, it could very easily veer into, uh, you know, getting a bit too, uh, you know, too sentimental. Um, and I, I hate to say that because I feel like that word is so loaded and it's so coded, but um, I feel like it could have gone a certain way it could have also gone, you know, the other way of being very slap happy and kind of goofy. Um, but it, it has just a very lovely, honest heartbeat throughout, um, which I think keeps us grounded. Um, and there's interesting moments of levity as well. I, I really enjoyed all the scenes with uh, 
their their uh, therapist played by yeah. Tig Notaro. Yes. I, she was hilarious in that role, which is such an understated kind of comedy in that role. Um, but you really see these two characters come alive, and you and you kind of get you your empathy for both of them grows as they go through this. Um, and the therapy scenes are just a lovely kind of um, uh, way for us to keep track of of their progress and their movement as well. So. Yeah, Sufi Bradshaw, she plays the technician giving them their ultrasounds in this movie. And she's almost she she's like a title card, you know, like every every few months, like we come back and we and we spend time with the technician and she has a gauge on their relationship. Like when she first meets them, she's like, Okay, uh-huh, I see, whatever. All right, you're another one of those. And then the second time, she's she's a little bit warmer towards them because she's got a rapport now. The third time they get together, they've actually had a little bit of a a, a moment of clarity, and they're trying to actually get some get some boundaries and get some distance. And she like you know like we see them. There's like a great physical bit of of staging, like a, a really great bit of framing of the shot where she's sitting on one end of the bed and he's way over on the other side, and she's like. So what's going on, guys? And he's like, this is just this is what we're doing now. You know, those kinds of things. I love that that she is able to to be that barometer and that mm-hmm. uh, Beckwith uses these extra people, these you know, these, these these characters like their therapist and like their technician to give us just these a few more insights into how this weird relationship is going. I, I, I love that about this film. Something in this film that truly stuck out for me that I appreciate. I don't think I see it in a lot of films. Um, and to, you know, the film in, in other hands might have completely missed this aspect. Okay. Um, and, you know, certain viewers, you know, maybe it didn't resonate as well for them as it did for me. But I think what I truly picked up on that I appreciated was how the director kind of underscores culturally and as a society we're not very good at knowing how to celebrate people and how to appreciate them when they're walking a different path Mm. that we're used to seeing. Um, I really appreciated uh, the scene. There were certain scenes in this film that I just thought were so smart and so honest and bringing up and kind of holding a mirror at us to kind of be like, yeah, you know, we've either all been on the receiving end or possibly the, on the giving end of this. Um, you know, and I kind of mentioned that earlier, that scene where he's just kind of told his brother and his sister-in-law that, you know, um, he's found uh, someone who is agreed to be a surrogate and she's now pregnant and it appears to be like a healthy pregnancy. This is a huge moment for him. If this was a typical like heteronormative couple and they went to their family and said, hey, we're pregnant right. and they were they're married and whatnot, everyone would have been up in arms, everyone would have been so happy and celebrating them, you know, cheers would be had, hugs would be had, tears would be cried. For him, he's almost completely talked over and kind of ignored um, by very heteronormative couple who are tending to their own kids. And they're just kind of like, oh, yeah, you know, you're happy, we're happy for you. And he's like, oh, you know, and he's just so, you know, there with his like little bottle of champagne he's like oh maybe we should do a toast like he's kind of trying to pull them along with him into this huge moment in his life and they just don't necessarily know how to celebrate him in that moment or how to celebrate that moment because it is maybe a bit unconventional or they may think it's a bit odd that he's doing this um and yet again if you were to 
to contrast that with, you know, a, a married straight couple announcing that they're pregnant, it would have been a completely different reaction. Oh, totally. um, yeah. And same with um, the scenes with his parents. I thought those were such emotionally rich scenes when he tells his parents and he brings this, I think it's the same bottle of champagne that he's put some tin foil on the top to go yeah, to yeah. And he pours it him. His mom won't let him get a word in, you know, his, his dad is somewhat supportive, you know, um, but you know, his mom's not letting him get a word in. She's kind of criticizing at every step. And the dad's kind of more focused on getting the mom to stop criticizing him than he is focused on celebrating, you know, his son's life milestone. Both parents of course have been remarried, you know, yes. since then. And I mean, the, the crazy thing that, that you bring that up, that's interesting that I just, I just thought of is, you know, again, we, we remind ourselves he's in his mid forties. Like they would have had a very different reaction if he mm. had announced this, like along with the heteronormativity mm. of it, they would have had a very different reaction if he had announced this in his late twenties, early thirties with mm. his first female partner. But the fact that he's mm. mid forties and he's doing this alone with this strange mm. woman surrogate, they're just like, yeah, all right. <laughs> you know, I'm yeah. just trying to trying to trying to get their wrap their head around this strange yeah. situation that you know is now possible. His whole situation may not have been, been possible 20 years ago, um, and I think that that is so un, uh, again really highlighted in that the the baby shower scene, which I thought was an excellent scene. Another thing that you're reminding me of in this as well, when you talk about the heteronormativity of it and and that scope of this movie is there's a great scene when they're buying a crib and they're they're having mm-hmm. an interaction with the with a saleswoman at this at this baby store and she's trying to be all bubbly and you know and uh, welcoming and and talk them into I mean they t- she tries to talk them into this crazy lucite <laughs> crib that does not you know grow with the baby so it's just like a complete waste of money um, and, and I mean like that that's hilarious in its own right but then she has this dual reaction of learning mm. their situation she learns that anna is is a surrogate is not going to be keeping the child after birth and mm-hmm. she meets she responds with like an oh and then she mm-hmm. says no I'm, I'm a surrogate for him he's going to be raising it on his own she's like oh and and then that in that moment he's like don't do that don't mm-hmm. why did why did i get the oh when you like responded to her with disappointment and that i mean let's be honest a lot of us would do that yeah. And actually, I'm pretty sure it was Anna herself who calls that out and says to her, like, hey, why do I get the oh if you think I'm going to be like a single yeah. mother? But he gets yeah. the oh if he's going to be a single dad. Um, again, absolutely. I think that ties into to my feeling about, I think that was my favorite aspect of the film is how much it does kind of hold a mirror up to to us. We've all been on the receiving end, giving end of those things, maybe not in that exact scenario, but um, anyone who's, you know, chosen to to make a choice that was unconventional or chosen to walk a path that was true to them, but maybe not the, not the, you know, had our normative path or the typical path that we tend to, to see um, culturally it's, we've all been again on the giving and, re- and receiving end of that. I, yeah, I thought that was such an interesting scene because Anna kind of calls it out to that, um, to that sales associate and immediately she gets back up from, from uh, at home's character. He's kind of like, 
yeah, <laughs> why did you do that? Um, which again, I, I love that about their relationship as they become closer and more um, comfortable with each other, as they get to know each other, they do become an excellent support system for each other. Even when they can't be there for themselves or stand up for themselves, the other person always seems to rise to the occasion in this film and kind of prop them up when they need that extra layer of support. Yeah, it's a um, very unconventional love story, you know, like they, mm-hmm. and they say like in 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 the late going, they do say I love you. And mm-hmm. you know that they mean it in that very in 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 the most genuine way that's almost never possible in the real world. Mm-hmm. Um that they 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 they've been through this thing for almost 9 months now and truly truly care about each other in this situation that really should just be transactional. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can see the transference has occurred that they really do care about each other. And that's, that's, you know, comes with its own set of problems because now it's going to make things difficult going mm-hmm. forward. But yeah, that, and all of this leads to a moment you alluded to a, a moment ago of this baby shower where, you know, Matt is getting all into it. He's opening the gift and he's the one who's the center of attention and really, really happy. And Anna actually has to slip away and she steps into the bathroom and you can see that she's trying to keep it together and try to keep it composed, which, you know, I've, you, you can't even fathom that mm-hmm. in a baby shower where the mother to be is mm-hmm. actually able to slip out undetected, but she is because really and truly like Matt has managed to make himself the center of attention. And we hang on both of them. We hang on his excitement and genuine joy and her, real trouble um you know with her with her role in this like she's she's still really excited and really happy to be doing this Mm -hmm. but at the same time like you can tell with every passing day that the difficulty of this is creeping deeper and deeper in i found that it's such an interesting first of all a a character study but also a study again from a, a gendered kind of perspective because matt is a center of attention as he should be, you know, he, it, he is becoming a father. Um, and this is a huge, you know, huge, huge, um, you know, joyful milestone for him. Um, and he's making it happen in, in an unconventional way, you know. Um, but nonetheless, this is a, an amazing time for him. Um, whereas Anna's character, uh, you know, legally and technically is meant to be as a surrogate, the, you know, every step of the way, you know, there were, we're kind of reminded by these characters that, you know, they're not really supposed to have this kind of close knit relationship, you know? Um, and even my very limited knowledge of, of surrogates and, and, um, in that world is, yeah, like there, you know, there is, you know, cordial relationship, but certainly not that close no. and like that tight knit. Um, so it, it's such an interesting study because, uh, you know, if this was perhaps a more transactional or, you know, uh, typical surrogacy you know she might have she may or may not have been at the shower and if she was it would have been you know a a very different kind of dynamic than what they have and with her as we see she kind of struggles with trying to maintain that um you know kind of healthy boundary but at the same time she truly cares about um him and she truly cares about their relationship um maybe not in a romantic sense but there is an an honest true love there yeah Uh, and she is a part of this as well. Um, and that's kind of where this int- very interesting kind of conflict and, and the sort of struggle or internal struggle comes into play. Um, what I found really um, 
observant uh, about that scene was more so the guests and how the guests kind of treat the baby shower and especially how they treat uh, Anna at the baby shower. You know, people don't really know what to do with her. Like, they're kind of like, oh, you're the surrogate. Do we talk to you? Do we not? Do we embrace you? Do we talk to you like you're a mom? Like, they don't, they truly don't know what to do with her. And I think that's what I love so much about this film is that it really kind of highlights that we don't know always how to celebrate people that are walking a bit of a different path than, you know, uh, we typically see or, or the heteronormative kind of path the scenes in the kitchen with like his friends and he's kind of like, there's like a really, you know, you know, nice, well-meaning guy. He's like, Oh, congratulations. Oh, is that appropriate to say, you know, which I think was a fair enough question for him to ask. <laughs> um, and someone else comes up and obviously they're just constantly making remarks about her body, which I just don't think you should do. Obviously. Uh, yeah. I thought that was a little bit definitely crossing a barrier considering they don't know this person. They just immediately start making remarks about her body. But I think that's, we, again, we could have a whole other podcast no about kidding. how people treat women's bodies. But um, even how I love the scene with the parents at the baby shower and how the mom's like, you don't get to have like a name if you're not related. Well, she's clearly related by marriage. She's part of the family, but there's all these kind of very, um, everyone's sort of upholding these very traditional kind of barriers and traditional kind of structures within the context of a baby shower that is anything but traditional. Right. Um, so I really, really enjoyed that scene. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it reminds me like th there's the, the, the bit, one of the movies I've watched a few times this year, just because it's been on. Um, and, and, and I, and I love it is um, portrait of a lady on fire. And there's mm -hmm. the scene midway through that movie where she paints um, the, the maid getting her, you know, getting her abortion. And mm -hmm. there's this discussion of what is and isn't represented in art because art mm -hmm. and culture and education and you name it has been patriarchal since the beginning. So there's all of these situations and all of these stories that may have happened semi-frequently or may have happened quite frequently that just have never been depicted. Mm -hmm. And this is the kind of thing, like there's not a deep well of movies mm -hmm. about surrogate mothers, about surrogate pregnancies. And it's, you know, because dudes are the ones who tend to make the movies and greenlight the movies. So that's one of the things I like in this movie is we are seeing these interactions that go along, you know, like surrogate pregnancy, it's not that crazy of a thing. It happens all the time. Mm -hmm. um, just not so much on our television or on in our, in our cinemas. Mm -hmm. So we're seeing these things play out that happen like crazy. And sometimes are beautiful. Sometimes are fraught. And like you say, there are things that we should think about more and, and, you know, how we should, treat these people who are in this situation and, and you know maybe understand that there's kind of more than one more than one road to walk in mm -hmm. life and that's i think one of the things i love that this movie tries to do what are all these moments in life that you know have not been captured because of who was painting the painting yep. or shooting the film so many moments in life that could have been quite frequent, but were not depicted because it wasn't perhaps frequent for the person shooting the film or painting the painting. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. I love that you bring that up and you put it so eloquently. So yeah, thank yeah. you for doing that. <laughs> I don't want to really talk about the ending of this movie, except to say that it may be one of the most perfect endings I've ever seen in a movie. Like when you want to 
talk about really getting to the emotional core of two people mm-hmm. and to the culmination of this pregnancy, I would be hard pressed to figure out any better way to do it. That ending, it's one of the best endings I've ever seen. It's hard to, to talk about it without talking about it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but I think uh, maybe hopefully I can say this and not give too much away, but I, I, thought the final shot was such an interesting choice um, and not the choice that I thought the director would have, would have taken or could have taken. Yeah. I, think, uh, I think a lot of directors would have gone a different direction. So I really appreciated that last shot. I thought that was a very interesting choice. Yeah. There's, there's a beautiful marriage of sound and vision going mm-hmm. on in that final moment. Yeah. That's just, it's, it's extraordinary. And I really hope people watch this movie. It's not even long. It's a 90 minute movie. You know, mm-hmm. our, our, our TV shows these days are like 70 minutes. So just give yourself the extra 20. It's on demand. It's on your TV. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think people can obviously tell that we're coming down on the side of this movie, but we do end our reviews here on the matinee cast with a souvenir, something tangible or intangible. If you want to take away from this movie and keep, you would. Julie Featherstone, what would be your souvenir from Together Together? Oh my gosh. I'm going to go with um it's not it's not an item it's not a thing but it's a quote from the film um that i really really loved um again this film is such an affirming film and the quote that really stuck out for me was when um ed helen's character says to anna that's not a silver lining those are two standalone good things yeah and i i love that and i just I I want to sit with that quote for a while tonight, I think, and just think about that. I think um, I, I, I love that. I thought it was brilliant. I think what I love about that moment is she is expressing, you know, she, she's expressing regret. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes in life we need someone who's not in our inner circle to say, you know, I know that you're feeling bad about this, but you – you actually have done something right. And, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. It, it's strange. Like it's, it feels different coming from a, a pseudo stranger, like that kind of compliment, mm-hmm. you know, than it would be coming from your partner or your parents, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. It, it kind of carries some extra weight because they have no skin in the game, but I do mm-hmm. remember that mm-hmm. line and that is a good one. Um, my souvenir is not nearly as profound. I just, I want some Swedish fish. He, he has this thing about how when he was going to therapy with his, his then partner, um, they would sit outside after the session, eat candy on a bench and, and just kind of be, and then go like straight back into their problems with their life. Mm -hmm. But for a moment or two, they'd eat some candy. And in the, you know, he, he he manages to talk Anna into eventually sitting with him on on the bench and eating some candy and he's eating Swedish fish. And I, I haven't had Swedish fish in a while. And I was like, I could really go for some. So I just, I, you know, I bet you five bucks tomorrow when I go for my walk, I'm going to hit up shoppers and buy myself a bag. But uh, yeah, I just, I really wanted some Swedish fish after watching this movie. Um, That's so funny. I noticed that as well. When I, I saw that like the logo Swedish fish, I'm like, oh, yeah. I could really use some Swedish fish. Yeah. <laughs> we rate here on a scale of one to four stars on the matinee cast. Jolie Featherstone, what do you give? Nicole Beckwith's Together Together. I'm 
I'll give it a three out of four, I think, for me. It's a well-done film. I, I think I would sit with a three out of four for this one. Yeah, it's a wonderful story. It's 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 not anything that's going to set the world on fire. You know, it, it might be the kind of thing that I'm talking about at the end of the year. But um, but it, I, it's just, it was something really lovely, really warm, and very unique. Like, that, that's, that's what's really driving it um, above its... Um, you know, you mentioned subtleties of, of its of its capture and of its rendering, um, you know, pastels and, and subdued colors. What sends it above that subdued tone is this wonderful story and this wonderful relationship at its core. And that's the kind of thing that, that really lifts it. Yeah, a really, really strong three for both Jolie and myself. Hey, maybe you think we're crazy. Maybe you think this is one of the best movies of the year. Maybe you think this is absolute garbage. I don't know what to do with you if that's what you think. But hey, it's what you think. Um, Ryan at the matinee.ca Twitter, where I'm matinee underscore CA or facebook.com slash dark matinee. What do you think? of Together Together. We are going to take a very quick break and come back on the other side to talk about some more movies. So come on back right after this. We're back. She's Jolie Featherstone. She's still Jolie Featherstone. She'll always, you're, you're keeping the name, you said, right? She will always be Jolie Featherstone. Uh, I am Ryan McNeil. Always have been. Always will be. Uh, it's episode 261 of the Matinee Cast. We have been talking about Together Together. Um, this is the part of the show where we talk about some further reading. Some more stories you could go on to if you liked what you started with. And um, why don't you get us started, Jolie? What is a movie that you think somebody could go on to after um, Together Together? Um, so I, I love a good double feature. I think for me, at the end of Together Together, a film that I think would make um, an interesting pairing would be um, a Drake Dreamist film called Endings Beginnings. I have not uh, don't seen know. this movie. Oh, okay, I was going to ask. I didn't know if you'd seen it or not. But um, Drake Dreamist, director of Light Crazy, which is a phenomenal film. Um, I I love that film like crazy um endings beginnings was at tiff a few years ago um and it deals i want to say um thematically with some similar aspects in the sense of we have a character here who is kind of at a kind of a very interesting point in their life um they've been through some stuff um they're in kind of a almost like a liminal space in their life, which Ed Helm's character kind of references where he says that I feel like I know what I want uh, next in my life, but you know, I don't really have the current situation that most people would think of when you think about that next step. So I'm just making it happen for myself. Um, you have a character who's kind of in a liminal <laughs> moment in their life. Um, and it does deal with uh, a sense of identity and, um, you know, I making choices for oneself uh in the, that may not necessarily be uh, the typical path but i would say endings beginnings would make a nice kind of companion for this one i mean you know if you're if you're jonesing for some more sebastian stan after <laughs> falcon and the witcher soldier he's in this um mm -hmm. you know i tend to like a lot of the stuff that shailene woodley does and she's in this mm -hmm. drake dormus i mean he yeah he got like a whole bunch of early currency when he broke with broke through with like crazy but um, 
I I don't know if I'm just remembering wrong, but I feel like he never really capitalized on that. Um, nothing else that, you know, like equals kind of fizzled. I don't really remember much about Zoe. Some of these careers are, are really strange arcs to, to watch, but, um, you know, certainly seeing uh, stories where people are, trying to make their way through the curves that life throws you because we're all, you know, raised to think that all we need to do is just work hard and be positive and things will work out when half the time that is not what happens. So it's, it is interesting to see those kinds of stories um, portrayed on film. Well, my, my first one is um, similar in terms of, you know, it's not just a matter of being positive and working hard. Um, we did do a full podcast about this when it released, so I won't talk about it for too long. But I went back three years to a film directed by Jason Reitman and written by Diablo Cody. When's the last time you thought about Tully? Oh, I loved Tully. That was such a great film. I really think that a lot of people either hated Tully or didn't give Tully the time of day, which I don't think is really all that fair because Mm -hmm. there's a lot of Diablo Cody's writing in this that is really mature, um, Mm -hmm. really written from a place of experience Mm -hmm. and kind of like we were seeing with together together, um, articulating things on film that are not usually articulated. And this is a film that really deals with the pressures of parenthood and specifically the pressures of um, postpartum depression. It's not exactly what I'd call a slap happy romp. It's not, you know, it's, 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 if if you're just expecting more catchy lines like Juno, that is not what you're going to get. It is another film that has an unconventional relationship at its center. And, you know, I I think it's actually a film that was better than, than what a lot of people gave it credit for. Both films bring a perspective on a, a, a situation or, um, you know, a moment in life that does not often get represented on film or uh, put to film. Tully, I think um, it's, it's sort of funny that to me, Tully, the people that I think would most resonate with it are probably people that don't have time to watch it, yeah. <laughs> you know, moms with kids and yeah, yeah. They probably don't have a lot of time to sit down on their own and watch the film and just fully like dive in and, and, and fully immerse themselves. It's the very people that don't have time to watch it that I think would really resonate with it. However, I do hope that more people see it because I think the more dads see it, the more, you know, people who are friends or family members of parents with kids, um, see it the better i think i think what that film did such a great job of highlighting is how isolated so many moms are and we don't even realize how much emotional labor physical labor mental labor goes into what they do every day and they're kind of uh, not obviously not everyone but i feel very um typically they're quite isolated even amongst family members so I yeah I hope more people see that film, um, especially if you know a mom in your in your life. If you know someone who is currently you know raising young kids, um, definitely I think you should watch this film. Europe. What's another film that you thought about after um, Together Together? Oh, um, so this this is kind of an interesting would be an interesting double feature. I think I thought of Beginners. Um, I'm not sure if you've seen that one oh, starring yeah. 
uh, Ewan McGregor. I think that they're both hopeful films, um, but Beginners just has this element of sadness and loss to it. Um, and again, very uh, interesting relationship in that film. There's a romantic relationship, but there's also a father-son relationship um, that's at the core of the film. And we see the father in this film at a time in his life where, he, you know, he's older, uh, he's a senior, and yet he's fully kind of embracing his life and choosing to live without regrets for what he's lost. Um, and yet we have a son who's, you know, considerably younger, you know, might maybe seen as in perhaps the prime of his life and is really wrestling with you know, a lot of stuff. And it's just such an interesting dynamic between the two. For some reason, when I was thinking of Together Together in a double feature, Beginners really came to mind for me. I think that the tone of the two is very much the same. Um, the series that we did this time last year, the Winchester Chronicles, where you came on and talked about, can you ever forgive me? My friend Brian Rowan out of Maryland down in the States, he came on um, early on in the series and talked about Beginners as mm -hmm. his choice for one of the best mm -hmm. films of the last decade. And, um, you know, I'll leave a link for that show in the show notes in case people haven't listened to it. Um, and I would say actually that Beginners is a movie that I have grown to appreciate more and more as time has gone on and and you know certainly as things have happened in my life but also just as i've grown and and been able to to catch the subtleties of it a little bit more so yeah they they would make uh, a lovely double feature probably a a very bittersweet double feature like we need to be passing out doses of xanax uh, on the on people's way out but um definitely a good one for another um round of uh, extra credit on um together together i wanted to think about another unconventional relationship and i went way back to 1971 to harold and maude by hal ashby Mm, mm, great choice great i was choice. i was lucky enough to catch a screening of this at lightbox several years ago with um friend of the show lisa fisher who is a huge fan of harold and maude um it's i was actually i felt like i was kind of late to this one i didn't see this one um again until i was like 30 i think and you know if people don't know it's a story of a strange relationship between a 20 something boy and a 79 year old woman, Harold and Maude respectively, they kind of enter each other's orbits because they find that they both have an affinity to go into funerals that are not for people who they know. It's kind of Wes Anderson before there was Wes Anderson. It's got that lovely soundtrack. It's got that lovely palette. Um, it's, it's far more madcap than anything that we see in Together Together. So if that movie was a little bit, you know, more low boil and you want something a little bit more zany and kooky, Harold and Maude <laughs> ought, to do you, ought to do you. You've seen this movie, of course. Yes, actually, I was going to say I had a similar relationship to that film because I saw it also for the first time at the light box. So I we wonder if we the were same at screening. screening. I wonder. <laughs> Did we miss each other? Possibly. And, so, and th that would have been just a few years ago. So it's a film that I had known about, had been on my radar since I was probably in my preteens and how I would spend my free time was not doing normal things and just spending hours <laughs> on IMDb reading forums and message boards about films. Um, so Harold uh, Amad was had been on my radar for 15 years at that point because I'd read about it so much and I'd always wanted to see it. But 
I don't think it was at my local video store. And even if it was, I, I don't think they would have allowed me to rent it at that, that age. Um, but eventually when it did come to Lightbox, I really made a point to see it. I think I went out of my way to, to see it that day. Um, cause I remember making the, the trek down the Lightbox, Um, and I was so, so enjoyed that experience. I'm kind of glad that I waited and saw it at the Lightbox. It's a great way to see movies. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm sure both of us could say how much we miss that that mm-hmm. venue, that whole experience. Um, and I mean, you know, sometimes movies just linger on your to see mm-hmm. list. Like I, I when I was cleaning out a drawer during during lockdown, I found a list that I'd made. Uh, 10 or 15 years ago and there were still movies I haven't seen on that list so it's just (laughs) some of these titles they just linger and then the good thing is we can always have that moment to look forward to when we get to see them for the first time and and once you see them for the first time that's it you know you can revisit them and you see them through new eyes and all that jazz but you will never get that first time back so um all right bring us home what's one more movie somebody could go on to after together together I don't know what it is about it, but I think it's, and I think for me, it's it's the atmosphere of the film being sort of a sort of a, a as you said, like a low boil, very kind of calm sort of film, but with a very uh, kind of a interesting emotional core. Um, was a film called Broken Flowers, I believe. With oh, uh, I Bill love Curry. that movie. Yeah, right. Talk about a soundtrack. The jazz in Broken <laughs> Flowers. Fantastic. And I don't know what it is about that film, but that film, again, you know, someone occupying a very interesting space in their life. um, And again, kind of deals with identity and, uh, you know, of course, family in in this, in this case, but there's just something about the kind of understated nature of it. Um, I found both films were very understated, yet, um, had a very uh, alive emotional core. So that one kind of came to mind for me as well. I thought that might make, a, an, again, an interesting double feature. Yeah, like, I don't think that the volume knobs on a Jim Jarmusch movie go up past, like, a six. So, <laughs> you know, when you talk about subdued, that's kind of his entire mo and and like it's it's crazy because he's he still has levels within his own filmography like when you get to something like uh only lovers left alive it's it's you know it's really actually quite sexy and dramatic and you know dark and ominous but then you you know you'll get something like uh you know something like broken flowers which is a whole lot of conversations and driving around while you listen to jazz um Mm -hmm. bill murray in that movie you know, playing modern day dialed down Bill Murray um, mm-hmm. is, is is a delight. Jeffrey Wright mm-hmm. in the background is kind of his man in the chair, helping mm-hmm. him through this investigation and just a, a, a friggin murderer's row of actresses who he plays off of in mm-hmm. this movie. Um, Sharon Stone, Francis Conroy, Jessica Lange, Tilda Swinton, Julie Delpy, Chloe Sevigny, all one after the other are just amazing to watch throw down what they're going to throw down and watch Bill Murray just basically try to keep up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, absolutely. Oh, that'd be a great double feature. Um, <laughs> well, mine, you actually set mine up when you were talking about Revolutionary Road, a uh, mm-hmm. 2009 movie directed by Sam Mendes. That same year, Sam Mendes had another movie come out in the summertime that not a whole lot of people saw, but I happened to go see in a theater, strangely enough. Um, I wanted to make sure I got a pregnancy story into the, the the other side, and I went to Away We Go, starring John Krasinski and Maya Rudolph. Have you seen this? I actually was gifted this film, and I have yet to watch it. I've been kind of waiting for the oh, right time to watch it. Okay. Yes. Um, and I was gifted it recently, so I, uh, I think, was it last 
my last birthday or two birthdays ago. And I <laughs> haven't seen it yet because I've been kind of waiting for the right moment to watch it. Um, but I'm so glad that you brought it up. I mean, I won't tell you too much about it because I just I want you to just to watch it and enjoy it. Um, it's another cast that goes and goes and goes and goes. Like a lot of the people in this movie have become a lot bigger over time. Um, mm-hmm. It's another movie that's deceptively handsome. And, um, you know, kind of like what we we're talking about with Together Together, there's some real human love at the center of this movie the 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 couple at the center of it verona and bert played by maya rudolph and john krasinski are just uh, like you know couple goals basically right there like hashtag couple goals with with these two people who are not um put upon who are very unassuming who are just trying to make a decision of what their life is going to be in the same year. Sam Mendes told these two stories of married couples and they could not be more opposite in their tone, in their outlook. And you know, if if you, what I would just say is if you've got it on the shelf and you haven't watched it yet, wait until a day where you're kind of down and you need a lift and, and watch that movie. And specifically, I want you to watch it with Sean. Um, And just, it's, you know, it's not, terribly long it's like a hundred minutes um it's it, it they, they 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 travel like they go they go around the country so you'll, <laughs> you'll get a little bit of, of scenery after we've been you know locked in this place oh, for nice. a year and a bit but yeah away we go i think it's a movie from this century that's a little bit underrated and went a little under the radar and the pregnancy is part of it but it's not that that big a part of it it's more about the couple so it's, mm-hmm. it's you know kind of playing into that into that you know pregnancy while while love abounds kind mm. of uh, double feature uh, but there we go that is episode 261 of the matinee cast i'm so thankful for joe lee for coming by come on back on monday june 7th for episode 262 it's the birthday show which means we give the new releases a break and talk about one of my old favorites and this year we are going to discuss saving private ryan on episode 262 joe lee can still sometimes be found writing on wiley Writes. do you have anything coming up uh, I, I do. I just had something come out on Wiley Wrights. I reviewed A Bump Along the Way, another pregnancy film. Actually, that could be a good uh, double feature. Um, I recently also uh, posted on my own blog, which had been neglected for a while, um, and we'll have another review coming out on my blog, Toronto Film Files, uh, within the coming days as well. Links for everything will be in the show notes. If people want to follow you on Twitter, where can they find you? Uh, they can find me at TO Film Files. Very nice. And again, my thanks for dropping by. My site is thematinee.ca. For more audio content, you can find back episodes by going to thematinee.ca slash podcasting. You can also find them in the usual places, Stitcher, Spotify, Google, Pocket Cast, Blueberry, Apple, and some new places, TuneIn, Radio Public, CastBox, and Podchaser. Everything gives you handy ways to subscribe for free and get alerts when new episodes drop. Feedback on Together Together can be left in the comments section of the site. You can email ryan at thematinee.ca. On Twitter, I am matinee underscore CA, and there's always Facebook facebook.com slash dark matinee any final thoughts miss featherstone i think we covered it i would leave off with just a reminder for everyone celebrate the folks in your life uh with their milestones whether they're conventional or not make sure we appreciate and celebrate them and this is a learning for myself as well (laughs) hell yeah for jolie i'm ryan we'll see you at the matinee